0: One of the questions I used to get asked all the time when I would speak around town, and this is a weird one, but I got asked that a bunch of times. I had to think of like, what does this mean? People would ask me, if I start a podcast, what do I do if people listen? And the first time I heard that, I was like, well, that's the whole point. But then I had to think like, what are they asking? What they're really saying is, what if people listen and they judge that they don't like what I'm putting out there and what they have to realize, Just because I might not like what you're putting out there, it doesn't mean I don't like you. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. And I think the emotional brain kind of hijacks us and creates thoughts that just aren't real.
1: Welcome back to The Better Than Rich Show. We're in for a treat today with Chris Kermitsos. Chris has a, a book called Start Ugly. And I start the episode by telling how I met Chris, but something I didn't share is that Chris was the first person to ever truly plant the seed about me starting a book. And I have nine books under the Grab Tomorrow series. And he was the first person that really helped me with that. And I'll be forever grateful for this man because he gave me an hour of his time. And we talk a little bit about that, why he did that, why he gave a random stranger an hour of his time. And he's done over 2000 events. He has a Set a Guinness Book World record and holds and uh, rebroke that record for the largest online podcasting event with over 6,000 people attending an event uh, in this niche. He is uh, the premier expert when it comes to podcasting and creating. He is uh, the PodFest expo which is the largest podcasting event that you could attend he is a marketing genius we get into some really great dialogue when it comes to how to start a podcast how to start ugly what are some of the ideas and concepts behind marketing for your podcast for your brand niching down so get ready for another great episode of the better than rich show with chris Kremitzos. Welcome to The Better Than Rich Show with your hosts, Andrew Biggs and Mike Abramowitz. The Better Than Rich Show helps ambitious leaders who are on a mission to leave the world better than they found it, change their perspective on what's important, increase their income and impact, and systemize their life and business. If you've ever struggled with finding your purpose, have felt disconnected or distracted, or found yourself going through the motions, this show will remind you that what you do matters and will re-inspire you to chase your highest dreams. It's time for you to become better than rich. Welcome back to the Better Than Rich Show. I'm Mike Abramowitz here with Andrew Biggs and a special guest today, Chris Kermitzos from the book Start Ugly and Podfest, the Guinness world record holder. Chris Kermitzos, welcome to the Better Than Rich Show. That was awesome. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Andrew, for having me. Well, I am so looking forward to this convo, and the audience might not know this, but I've mentioned you in a couple of episodes, so the audience who follows us might know, but Chris is the gentleman who is the birthplace of Grab Tomorrow. Grab Tomorrow started, all of my books started from a conversation with this man who is willing to sit down with me, invite me to the center club, and said, you want lunch? Yeah, let's have a conversation talk to me about branding and the book and my message and what I have to offer the people of my audience, like everything. And it was just such a beautiful gift of his time, of his intellect. I researched him a ton. He was on TED Talks. And I was like, this guy is just such an unbelievable human. And I'm so grateful that I have you in my life as a friend. Chris, I have to ask you, I probably should have asked you so many times before this one moment right now, but like, why the hell did you give me a random stranger, I never met you before, Dave Kavon, I met him once, he made a recommendation, and you were willing to give me an hour of your time, pay for my lunch, And give me all the content I needed to go launch what was a nine book series. I have to ask you, why did you give such a random, beautiful gesture to a stranger?
0: So I grew up in New York and a lot of the people there were very doggy dog. And I remember not liking the fact that they were not supportive of each other. I'm not saying there's not supportive people in New York, but the dominant culture is not supportive. And growing up, when I moved to Florida, I decided to create a different paradigm for my life. And that was, why can't I support people around me? And why can't we all grow and help ourselves, but then help the greater community? I started a networking group that you knew about, Mike. And what I remember doing was I would take appointments with anyone that was introduced to me and I would spend an hour. That was the time. Now it's so funny when we look at an hour. But at the time, It was precious to me, and I would give an hour, and I looked at those moments as relationships that would be with me for the rest of my life. So I'm glad that you and I are still here talking today, a decade later. So I did that for 10 years. I would do 25 one-to-ones every week for 10 years and made some of the most valuable relationships. And Mike, you know this, but I've done over 2,000 events. So in that process, I made a conscious decision that I wanted to fill my life with events and great people. In order to do that, I had to invest Uh, in my time to meet people. So I saw that more as a benefit. Uh, I know you saw that as a benefit to you. I saw a benefit to me of meeting the great Mike Abramowitz, who would later go on to create PB&J, Tampa Bay and everything else. So I already saw the great things you were doing. And I was enthralled that you had a team, a young team that you were motivating. You're a really special person. So that was a great conversation that we had. And I'm so glad that you've created this podcast, these books and all these amazing things that you're doing out in the world. My life's purpose is to help other people around me when called to.
2: Yeah. And I I really appreciate that, Chris. And I think just a great example, I actually didn't know that origin story. Mike. I love hearing these origin stories and how everything came together. But what I'm hearing is investing in people, investing in your network, network equity has been really important to you and your career and your success. It was an intentional strategy. And in some ways, it's interesting because it's one of those examples of things that doesn't always scale all that well. But because you were so intentional about it, I mean, 25 one-to-ones for an hour every single week, that's over 50% of a normal person's work week that you were investing. And it's kind of like you were going slow so you can go fast later, is my interpretation. I also just get the sense that whenever I talk to really high-level people, they go out of their way to be generous. And I just want to reflect that to you. So thank you for that. I'm curious, man. Tell us, you've taken off with the book with Start Ugly. I'd love to get into that. I'd also love to hear about PodFest let's start with start ugly what's the idea behind start ugly it's a great title i love it it's so important that people understand this concept so fill us in a little bit what's it all about
0: the way it got started is the era that mike is talking about is when the word start ugly came to life so back then we're doing workshops at this place called the center club and this is before cell phones had video i would use a little sony camera and i'll put the video up on youtube youtube came out february 14th of 2005. I had a YouTube account a few months later and I had like a thousand videos on YouTube Viddler a lot of people don't realize there was nine other video platforms that didn't survive uh, YouTube and Vimeo were the only two but I was on all of them uh, we would aggregate all these videos and it was a lot of fun but I was teaching and people would ask me what is the video camera you're using to get all these great videos and I realized that it wasn't the video camera that was doing the work <laughs> it was me so people would give credit to the device and the device is only as good as the user, I got so frustrated. And these are really nice business people. I just said, just start ugly. Okay. Just start ugly on video. And I was upset because ideally I wanted to curse at the time, but I said, just start ugly. (laughs) And people were like, tell me more about this concept. Start ugly. There was no concept. It was just me telling them to start ugly. (laughs) So I saw that it resonated. And I always said, if I ever had a chance to write a book, that's a great title. Fast forward to the podcasting world, and every day I'm helping someone get started their podcast and motivating them. And again, what tools are you using? What mic are you using? It's like, dude, just start ugly. You know, I was going to write a futurist book about how the future always changes, so you're almost forced to start ugly all the time. But I realized if I wrote anything about technology, blockchain, you name it, it would be outdated the moment the words hit the book. I mean, look where we are with AI. We wouldn't have all this stuff today. So I created a book that is a short story, a fiction story taking place in the early 1900s about a gentleman that had the top lumber mill and he was training his lumberjacks on how to swing an axe. He had the best axes. He had a research and development lab and he had a young kid that he hired for his R&D lab who was riding his bicycle into work. And back then they had just put this is on Manhattan Island. That's what they used to call Manhattan. He's riding his bicycle on Manhattan Island, and he ran into a telephone pole, that which they had just put in, and his bike tires got caught on the telephone pole. So the kid started realizing, what if I took a bike chain and rotated it around? Maybe it could become a saw. So it's the beginning innovation of the chainsaw, and unfortunately, the owner didn't see the innovation, so he wasn't willing to start ugly again because try and tell someone that's swinging an axe that a bicycle chain could do a better job is insane. I don't want to ruin the rest of the story, but it's a really interesting story. And I said, how could people of today see themselves 100 years back that would pertain to anybody? Since then, we've sold thousands of copies. It's a very short story. It's a 30-minute read at best, 100 pages, a lot of visuals. I like pictures. It's done really well for me. I actually buy my used copies because they're cheaper to buy my new copies now because there's so many used that people put back on. So I buy most of my used copies and then I'll give them away when I do presentations or sell them.
1: One of my favorite pages of the book is page 79. It's like a perfect, perfect diagram for those watching the video. But essentially... That's the only how-to process in the whole book. (laughs) That's my
0: favorite page. (laughs) That's my favorite page of the book. That took us uh, like 40 hours to think out.
1: It's beautiful. And it's just a perfect strategy: Innovate, create, refine, repeat. Identify an opportunity or a new way of doing things. Research what you're getting into create an MVP, a minimal viable product or a minimal viable thing, right? Commit to a launch date, start ugly and launch set check-in dates to assess and create systems and work toward perfect execution, go start ugly. So we have this conversation so often with Better Than Rich, with our community, with operator to owner. So many individuals are like, oh, I have these ideas. I want to build a vertical. I want to expand my company or I want to create another revenue stream or you fill in the blank. I want to start a podcast. And they just overthink analysis paralysis, non-stop control freaks. They're control freaks. That's what they are. That's what you are if you're listening to this. So the concept is so beautiful, so simple. I'm just grateful that you put into a short story and you talked about the start ugly, but I'm very interested in the PodFest because when I met you, JV Crum III was on our show. We also had William Hung on our show. He's introductions from you, Chris. So I think back TBBO, Tampa Bay business owners, it was like maybe 10 or 15 people in a small room. And then I think about you, the last podcast event I went to went from fifteen people like ten years ago to the Orlando event I just went to in January. How many people were there? Fifteen hundred international people from all around the world. We went for you. I mean, I say we like I'm part of it. Like you went from you went from fifteen people in like a small room that was in a classroom. I think it was in a school that I initially went to one of these meetups and went from this meetup of fifteen people to fifteen hundred at one of the nicest resorts near SeaWorld in Orlando, Florida. And it's just amazing that you took a small concept of start ugly, do small things, do this consistency, and then build this. So I have a two part question. Number one, I want to hear the story of how you did that. And number two, why do people not start? What stops people from starting?
0: Fear starts people from starting all the time. And the fear comes in many different flavors. So you have people that don't think that they're good enough, so the fear is, I'm not good enough for this. Then you have another kind of fear. You have people that are extremely successful. Actually, Start Ugly was written for very successful people, because the example I give in the book is a successful person. You get successful people that are trapped in their success, and the fear is, if I start ugly, I'll get laughed at again. They're just as trapped as the person afraid to even get started. So I always say, start ugly and perfectly execute along the way, which you read the seven point step process. It's not start ugly, stay ugly. So that is a distinction that people might not realize. Like you got to improve after you start and you do need a minimal viable product to get started. Just you need to set timelines. So with podcasting to now go back to your first question, how do we go from 15 people at a meetup to 1500 people? Not only that, but virtually we set a Guinness World Record and broke a Guinness World Record. And what was that total? Just to capture it, what was it like? The first one that we set the record was 5,003. And let me just be very clear. It wasn't a live stream. Let's just throw people on a live stream. It was very specific. It was like one week of education. We had to have Eventbrite ID. We had to show that they were in Zoom. They had to consume a portion of content throughout the week and be active. So it was like a lot of parameters that the Guinness World Records put on us. Because anyone could do a stream and like thousands of people join on celebrity-wise. This was how many podcasters around the world, can we get collectively in one place to congregate with each other? We set the record 5,000 and then we broke it the next year because a lot of people thought it was like a fluke. Oh, it's COVID. People are stuck at home. The next year we shattered it. It was over 6,000, but the way the Guinness book counts, the official number is like 5,800 something or whatever. Like I said, you have to discount if they don't hit certain parameters. So anyways, that was a learning process, but let's go into how did we go from 15 to 1,500? And I'm not saying this because this is my book, but it is the absolute truth because you're right. Doing a meetup at a Mimi's cafe and then doing it at a local hotel and then doing it at a convention center hotel, three different ballgames, okay? Doing one at a cafe is very easy. You call up the manager. We're going to bring five or 10 people over. Is it okay if we have a room? I'll set up my projector and screen and they're probably going to eat. No problem. Come on over. What day? Monday night, even better. It's dead. So that that was that, okay? That was August 5th, 2013. So then we go to, okay, well, we, actually, the next step, Mike, was we did two workshops. So I saw how transformative podcasting could be. So I said, let's do two workshops. So I took the same guy, Steve Cherubino, who we affectionately in Tampa Bay call the podfather. I took our local podfather with me, and I said, I'm going to put you in my car. I'm going to drive you to a place. I'm going to have some people there. Can you talk about podcasting? Well, I would sell all month 75 people into a workshop. I would literally imagine, like, if you're like my friend, I just pick you up in a car, tell you, hey, bring your gear. And then you show up to a place, and there's 75 people sitting there waiting for you, giving you an applause. Like, to him, it was like, what the hell's going on? Because <laughs> that's what happened. He wasn't like a professional speaker, he was like a podcaster out of his house, right? So I take him with me, and he's like, what do I do? I go, just follow my lead, tell him how to plug in. Cause I knew, how, I had no idea how to plug in a mic or anything at the time. And he would tell him, here's how this works. And he loved it. It's like, you're, your friend that's a techie now getting to share that no one would ever listen to him. And there's 75 people taking notes, asking everything they're saying. So we did that. And then we did one at the center club. So we did two workshops. How did that came? Everything I created was created out of the needs that were created from my other actions. In other words, I never had the end in mind to be 1500. I just followed what was needed in that moment. And then I would start ugly and create what was needed. So after I helped all those people, What do you guys think happened to me? My phone started ringing off the hook. Hey, I'm stuck here. I can't use this. How do I use GarageBand? I have no idea. Like, I'm not a tech. I'm a marketer. My wife is a techie, and she's a beautiful, blonde-haired, blue-eyed lady, and they all think, because I'm a guy, like, oh, you're the techie. Like, actually, she's the one that helps me with my tech, and she's not sitting on call doing customer service either. We created PodFest, and that's when we said, once a year, let's all get together. Let me bring in all the vendors that could help you, and then from Tampa. I'll leave you with this last story, Mike, and then you guys can ask whatever question you want. But how did I go? The big question is, how did I go from a hotel in Tampa where I had all my connections? It was very cheap to do the event. In other words, I was what I would call low downside, a little bit of upside. You're not going to get huge upside because Tampa, as much as I love Tampa, it's not an international destination for these kind of things. How do I go from there to Orlando? Going to those convention centers is like going from the minor leagues to the big leagues because now you have to book a convention hotel and for those of you that don't know, you have to promise sometimes $100,000 in food and beverage spend. And it's all what's called personal guarantees, which means if you don't pay it, they come after you. They literally sue you, like not figuratively. It's part of the business process. So I had a friend named Neil Gilarte. He said, Chris, my sister runs, she's the service manager for a huge convention center hotel in Orlando. And I said to Neil, I can't afford to go out there and I'm not putting my house up for personal guarantee to lose my shirt. But I'll give you guys a piece of advice. A friend of mine said, He said, You should always take all meetings. You don't always have to say yes. So I said, Out of respect to you, Neil, I'm going to drive out to Orlando and I'm going to take the meeting. Now, when I went out there, I didn't meet with his sister. I met with the salesperson because at the time I didn't realize his sister was the service manager, not the salesperson. So I still was like learning how big divisions are in these hotels. And she started telling me, I could give you this hotel for, let's just say, 10,000 food and beverage. And as I was thinking about the number, cuz I'm factoring like okay $10,000 what do I need to do to get that she goes well why don't we do 5000 so now as I'm thinking she's negotiating with herself now I'm recalibrating my thought okay 5000 by the way Mike knows me I'm a very dynamic person but when it comes to finances and my family I'm thinking like I'm not going to make a rash decision as she says 5000 as I'm thinking she goes well why don't we do 3500 Now I'm dumbfounded. And obviously I go, let me drive home and think about it. My mind is an absolute yes. But what I'm thinking now is what's the catch? (laughs) Why did she go from 10 to 3,500? So as I'm driving home, I call my buddy Neil up and Neil, his family is a very proud Venezuelan family that came to this country. They lived in Orlando. Neil then moved to Tampa. And when I had Tampa Bay business owners, what Mike talked about, I helped him get started with his video business. So this is important to the backstory. So as I call Neil, he goes, how'd it go? I go, they literally are giving me the hotel for basically the same rates as the Tampa hotel and in some ways even cheaper. So I don't have any downside and I could figure this out. And he goes, so you're going to do it? I go, I don't see any downside. But I said to him, why are they doing that? And he goes, well, I talked to my sister and she said, when I move to Tampa, you help my family by helping refer me and connect me to the Tampa business community. So our family owes you one. So my sister, who's a service manager, told that salesperson, if that kid doesn't have an unbelievable deal, I will never service any of your other big events. (laughs) So that's one of those full circle events. And Andrew mentioned this before, me not realizing I had all these amazing chips on the table from building social capital by helping people this is a way the universe kind of paid it back without me realizing it, if that makes sense. But that's Andrew. That's one of those things I knew if I did the right thing, eventually, hopefully I'd get some breaks. This is one of those big lifetime breaks that came my way. That's amazing.
2: And I think so often we discount that, right? We don't pay attention to our network equity or certainly when I was younger in my career, I didn't pay as much attention to it. I remember, especially as I was like leaving jobs, I would kind of like burn bridges. <laughs> like, I'm out of here. I'm right? <laughs> sure it's for you guys it's like, maybe that wasn't the best move, you know, for your career and for your social capital across the board. Maintain certain relationships, of course, but other times it wasn't always the best. You know, I think that's a pretty immature approach. And then you could extend that into all sorts of different things. But the law of reciprocity kind of always comes full circle. And you're always repaid in some way, shape or form. Even if it's not linear, it might not even be a one for one sort of thing. There's times where, you know, I'm giving over here. And then I'm giving, giving, giving to all these other people. And then this person wants to bless me. I'm like, cool. I just trust that the universe is somehow balancing the ledger. And I think that that's a really cool way to look at it. I had a question about... One more question. And I really want to be curious about marketing and how you're getting all these people interested in what you're doing. Because I think that your mind is, uh, is really unique in that way. You said people don't start ugly because they feel like they're not good enough. And the other side is they kind of like overthink. And I mean, I can't even tell you how many times people come to me and they're like, Okay, I want to start a podcast. It's the same question you got, right? What mic do I need, right? How do I do it? Like, you know, and it's like some, you know, crazy thing. I'm like, You can literally Google that. Just pick some mic you know, or whatever. You don't even need to have a mic. They get caught up in the overthinking of the minutiae. I'm also curious to hear your thoughts on this not good enough piece. What would you say to someone who is either overthinking or getting caught up in that sort of imposter syndrome right now? I'm curious to hear your thoughts.
0: So in order to build confidence, you have to do something. So unfortunately, thinking doesn't help you build confidence because it's a revolving door around the same thought. So if you do want to do podcasting, let's say you're still afraid. Recording a couple episodes is really important. Sometimes, and I say this in the book. Sometimes it might not be your calling. Maybe it's not podcasting, but you should at least try it on. And then if it doesn't work, go over to the next thing. It's wasting the time on thinking about something is the most valuable thing that you lose. It's the commodity of time. As far as people that are high achievers, the excuse they usually use is I'm waiting for it to be perfect. Perfectionism. That again is another, it's a fear-based thing because nothing ever is perfect. One of the questions I used to get asked all the time when I would speak around town this is a weird one, but I got asked that a bunch of times. I had to think of like, what does this mean? People would ask me, if I start a podcast, what do I do if people listen? And the first time I heard that, I was like, well, that's the whole point. But then I had to think like, what are they asking? What they're really saying is, what if people listen and they judge that they don't like what I'm putting out there and what they have to realize, just because I might not like what you're putting out there, it doesn't mean I don't like you doesn't mean that you're a bad person. And I think the emotional brain kind of hijacks us and creates thoughts that just aren't real. I just maybe didn't like the content. Okay, well, now it's your job to figure out if you're looking to build an audience, what is it that you want to deliver that matches with the audience? And how do you marry those two out? But don't think that people now actively will shun you. I think it's evolutionary and biological. We don't want to be thrown out of the tribe or the group. And by being judged, there's a huge fear there. So I would just say for anyone dealing with any kind of, I'm not good enough, whatever, however you want to call it. I would just tell people in order to build confidence, you'll have to deal with that noise. But the best thing you could do is move forward by recording one episode at a time.
1: Yeah, that's great. Keep it simple. I mean, that kind of falls under the whole TAD, Tiny Actions Daily that we'll teach to our audience a lot. I love
0: that. TAD, Tiny Actions Daily. That's awesome. Yeah, TAD. Keep it simple. I like that. Thank you. So, Tad. And
1: to your point, Chris, I mean, I actually went Facebook Live today about perfectionism. It's perfection is the enemy of execution. And it's like, how do we just offset some of these business owners specifically, who that's a lot of people who listen to our show. How do we make sure that they just are willing to go for it? Like you are deserving of anything that you want in life. You just have to be willing to take a couple of those first steps And be willing to learn along the way and navigate through uncertainty. And I just think you're the epitome of that. I I definitely agree with Andrew. I'm super fired up to hear a little bit about this marketing stuff. Because let's say you take this person who says, what if people listen to my show? We have a couple of clients in our operator owner community that want to start doing some more marketing and like reaching... The, their audience in another way while also simultaneously reaching new organic audiences. So podcasting, why not? It's a good way to get your information out there, your message out there, add video and add audio. You Now you're on YouTube, you cup it into Reels, and now you're all over social media. Take that. You're on Anchor, put it onto Spotify and Apple, and now your message is now chopped up and distributed all on these dozen plus platforms. Well, great. So What, from your lens, when you hear someone that wants to start a podcast, what's the process step by step? Would be my first question. Then, anything else under the umbrella of marketing that you just want to riff on that could be a value add, I would love to just hear what you have to say under that no filter, passionate and curse and stuff. Go for it.
0: Yeah, I'll give you a couple podcast ideas. The first thing is let's say you have a business owner and they don't have time dedicated to doing a weekly show, they could easily do a season, they could drop 10 or 12 shows and they could drop them at once. Because audio is on-demand and searchable. So for instance, let's say you have an auto body guy and they're great at their field. They could create 10 great episodes around doing business with an auto body shop that they put out there. That now when someone calls them up or there's a lead that comes in there, they could answer on the phone, but then they could direct them to the podcast to listen to any other FAQs, frequently asked questions they might have. So that's a way to use it as a tool to inform and educate the public. And maybe you drop a season's worth every year. So that means you go into a studio, local. Now there's studios everywhere. Look up local studio where you're at, record your episodes and get it up on Apple and make sure that it's registered on Apple within RSS feed. That means that you have a RSS feed. stands for real simple syndication. So you can put it out there. Now, the main thing, Mike, most people don't do is they don't go into Apple Podcasts and they don't search the terms that their show might be found under. So a lot of times it's very easy just to go to Apple and do a quick search to see what keywords come up for your niche. So I'll give you an example. I was helping a gentleman that had a charity and he was helping fathers who have children with special needs. I think it was called 21st century fathers or something like that. And I said to him, I know that the generation you came up, A lot of people formerly called their dad's fathers, but I don't know anyone that calls their dad father today. We call our dad's dads. And I know it sounds very simple to someone listening, but many times the mechanics of a podcast is that simple. So we created a show and we renamed it the dad to dad podcast. And then we put the tagline that alone helped the show grow by just tagging it correctly in the search. So sometimes that's a huge impact. Now, as far as marketing your show, it depends on what you're looking to do. If you have a show and you want to be an expert, it's easier to get on other shows because maybe you have a podcaster in your niche that you like that you can now invite to be on your show. And if they like who you are, they might invite you on their show. There's a lot of reciprocity that goes on in podcasting. And that's a really great way to grow your show by being on other people's shows and also inviting them onto your show. So it's also a great way to network within an industry. It's phenomenal. Yeah, man, I love
2: that. That's so cool. And I, it's definitely true of what we witnessed is like the, the reciprocity. You know, we're always getting intros, we're always on other people's shows, and it's just really fun to I get to have a conversation every single week, sometimes multiple times a week with like really cool people. These are really in the band people with their time. It's just a really cool way to network. I love the idea also like, hey, could you put something out there? Could you do a season? how could you get started? When we were getting started, one of my mentors said, Hey, just come up with 52 questions that your avatar has. And I was like, well, why 52? He like, well, one a week. And so if you can come up with 52 questions, well, you have a year's worth of content. If you want to do a one a week, if you want to do one a month, right, then just come up with 12 questions or do what Chris said and, and release the season. But anyways, I think there's so many cool things that you're mentioning there. I'm also curious. I almost want to ask you at some point, can you audit ours and say, Hey, what are we doing? Well, what are we not? But... What else would you say, man? I mean, especially around marketing, you're like an expert in email marketing too. How do you know what your niche is? How do you niche down? Your niche is pretty clear, but some people really struggle with their niche. They're like, oh, it's just women or it's men or it's dads or it's moms. So, how do you help people niche? And maybe just talk to that a little bit too.
0: So one of my famous case studies, I have a couple that I'd love to share with you guys and it helps anyone listening. So my wife has the Women's Meditation Network and I'll just share with you how we grew it from zero to four million downloads a month. It's about to hit a hundred million collective downloads in just a few years. So the first thing we did is she had meditation for women. So obviously she had a niche, her niche was women and meditation. And the reason why that's important, like you said, we know that we could target just one side of the equation. You save a lot of money on your ads when you're running them. We also ran ads inside players. So most people would say, oh, you should run social media ads. But we realized by the time we convert them to a listener, it's not a guarantee. So we just found players, CastBox, Overcast, Podcast Addict. A lot of these podcast players allow you to put ads. What better place to put an ad than where people are listening to podcasts? So we actually just did the ads there instead of social media. So that was a huge inflection point. The second thing Katie did, which I think is really important, before Katie came onto the scene, I'm sure there was some really good meditations for the everyday woman, but most of them were like around lunar cycles, chakras. Katie's meditations were literally written like, put your cell phone down and go to sleep. That's the title of one of her meditations. Shatter Impostor Syndrome, How to Fight with My Spouse. That's me. So like these are some of the titles that she had, and she would write a meditation around everyday occurrences that today's modern women go through. So that helped it grow because it was very relatable. The content was very specific. So then we would look at her main show and she said, Chris, I see you helping all these people. Can you consult with me? I said, absolutely, but you have to listen and implement what I say because I am your husband. But when I wear this hat, the consultant, you got to listen. And she goes, I'll listen, but you can't make me wrong. Deal. Okay. So th- there we go. We got the dual relationships that's, that's out of the
1: perfect. way.
0: <laughs> perfect. Right. And this is, this comes with adulthood. 10 years ago, we would just like fight cats and dogs over any little issue. Anyways, and I love my wife and we're very open about communication. So that's why I speak very freely about it. Some people listen they're like, oh, they're not doing too well. No, actually we're doing really well because we're upfront about it. We're not passive aggressive about anything going on. And I credit her with that. She has a communications degree, but she really is really good at it. So we then looked at her downloads. And the first thing I noticed in a general meditation download setting, the meditations that would bend the needle were her sleep meditations. So all we did was we took out those meditations and we created sleep meditation for women. That became much bigger than her original show within a few months. Then we said, if women need to sleep, don't they need something in the morning to wake up? And we created morning meditations. Anyways, I don't want to belabor the point, but sometimes it's that easy. Right now, she has over 12 shows. By the end of the year, she'll have about 30 shows on the network. She's growing a media empire, and I'm very proud of her. I want to give you guys a trade show example, and then you could ask me any question you want. Patrick Kelly was a young gentleman that came to me. And during COVID, right before the lockdowns, I said, Patrick, come on in. I want to help you. Because he was like floundering. He created the Millennial Boom Show. He had some great concepts, but they weren't big. They were like conceptually great, but they weren't like if you wanted to make a full-time living. And this little mastermind I put together of just a couple of my friends, I said to him, do you really want a big podcast? Do you want to make a living out this? He said, yes. I said, what industry do you work in? He goes, I work in produce. I go, well, what do you do in produce? He goes, I'm a produce broker. And I said, what does that mean? I handle logistics of getting produce to supermarkets. I'm like, okay, great. I got it. I said, well, why don't you start the produce industry show? He goes, well, why would someone listen to me about produce? I go, you just said you're a produce broker. So Andrew, this goes back to the imposter syndrome. Who am I? And you know what noise he had? All the old dogs in his industry saying to him, who the hell do you think you are to create this? And I said, do you really care about them or do you care about the people that need to be served in your industry? They're not getting served by these old dogs that barely know how to use technology. He goes, well, I think I want to serve my community. I said, I'll tell you what, let me know in 24 hours if you don't use the name produce industry podcast, because I'm going to register it and sell it to someone if you don't use it 24 hours. that was my way of just getting the fire under his butt so he doesn't sit on it. So the thought he's, he couldn't sleep that night. So the next day he goes, Hey, I got the produce industry show. I'm going to do it. He still doubted it, but now he's, he makes a very good living, but the way he makes his living is very interesting. His show is not based on downloads. It does have a good audience, but it's a very small audience. He goes to trade shows, and he is the media personality at every produce trade show. And then every produce brand feels that they have to sponsor him. So he has like Dole, all the big brands sponsor him. So he now has another person on his network, and he's growing a mini network for the produce industry. So that's one of my favorite case studies. If you guys, anyone that's listening to this is part of a trade show, where that's where all your peers go. You have a podcast, talk to the organizer, people like myself say, Hey, I'd love to be the media for the trade show. And what I'll do is I'll interview all of your people for you. And I'll put the clips up, tag your show. Trade shows love that. Cause that's one less thing they have to worry about.
1: I have so many questions, but I got to figure out which directions to go. Number one, I want you to hit on Katie had Biz Women Rocks when I first met her. And now you said she has multiple shows. This is a different concept. So I would love to hear Did she have her brand and moved everyone to this meditation brand? And is that essentially what happened where she just pivoted in the marketplace? Or did she like sunset this, start something new? Because this whole multiple shows idea on a network is new. That's something I'm not familiar with. I just know we stream to Anchor and then that goes to spotify apple all these podcasters like i'm not familiar with the whole idea of being on a network and it's like different channels or something or if you could speak to that
0: let me update andrew too so my wife was one of the pioneers in podcasting she created biz women rock she was one of the first she started the same team jv Crum. i think they launched in the same month or two she started one of the first ever business shows for women leaders and the reason is Not a lot of leaders were being interviewed at the time now i think there's a lot of amazing shows but at the time she was one of three that started literally interviewing business leaders it was wildly successful she had a full-time consulting income really good consulting income working 35 hours a week raising our daughter sedona five years into that journey she got pregnant with our second daughter savannah and something happened in her life decisions and she didn't want to do it anymore mike to answer your question it was just almost one of those things like, I'm done with this, if that makes sense. It's like, I don't want to do it anymore. So even though she loved it at the time, a day later, something was percolating that no longer. Now, that show generated six figures in income, consulting revenue. We tried to sell that show. And here's the craziest part. People were not educated to understand the value. So we were like giving the show. We we're trying to find a female business leader to give it away. When I say give it away, I think we were willing to get ten or fifteen thousand for a show that generates six figures. But the problem is, everybody would try and negotiate. When they do that, it's like it's not even worth doing. Gifting something out, We would just want to see someone that was willing. Because she had thousands of women, and we were trying to find someone deserving. Challenge at the time was trying to teach people. Now people understand podcasting. Back then, it was a lot harder. So in that process, Mike, she took some time off. She took about six months to a year to sunset her show. Like she told everybody what was happening, and it still took some a while to sunset it. So then she launched Women's Meditation, and she did invite some of her listeners to come over. It wasn't wildly successful. She would get a few hundred downloads here and there, maybe a 1,000 a month, and it was a 1,000 a week downloads. The inflection point for us is during COVID, we actually refinanced our house, and we took portions of that. We didn't know COVID was going to happen, by the way. This was before COVID. We took portions of that and invested in her podcast by buying Spotify ads. And what I just told you, advertising. So a lot of people, when we talk to them, I know you guys get this mindset, but they're always like, well, should I spend money? We don't even look at it spending. We refied our house and invested a portion of that in her podcast because we looked at that as a business investment vehicle. So then what you do, Mike, if you have a brand like M- Women's Meditation, we then created separate shows for the episodes that we thought were niche. And then those shows, you could have one a month if you wanted to on those separate feeds. It doesn't really matter, but people trust the Women's Meditation Network. If you go to womensmeditationnetwork.com, the website, you'll see how it's laid out. But she has 12 different shows, and now she has writers. She has voiceover artists that work with her. So we're now expanding a media property called the Women's Meditation Network. In the process, I also bought MeditateDaily.com to also expand further. So this is a really big media property that Katie has created that's been wildly successful. And now what will happen is down the road, if and when Katie is ever ready to sell, we have packaged it in a way as a business that there's a formula. There's no personality behind it because it's commoditized in a good way where there's voices and people that do their part.
2: It's been an amazing journey. That's amazing, man. I, that's so cool to hear the perspective of investing in, into a podcast. Just a quick note there. Is that ad revenue or is she selling
0: products on the back end of that or is it? Yeah. So how does she make money is really important. Podcasts are mature now where when you get to a certain size, agents will represent you and they'll pour in what's called DAI, dynamically ad insertion. And it's also programmatic with technology. Think of it as a pipeline that gets ported into your anchor feed or whatever feed you have, and then you put little markers on your timeline and the ads get delivered. It's even done programmatically where she could say, I want no political ads. She just clicks off the buttons. I want no weight loss ads. Katie has certain things she does not want hitting her feed. And then they just programmatic the areas that she's okay with that's cool we do run ads but we just run our own ads on our podcast
2: at least for no now. and that's
0: important to run your own ads sell your own ads but when you get to a certain level they will literally like hook you up to a pipeline so to speak yeah that's cool man that's really cool how would you
2: respond to somebody who's started a podcast because i mean the truth is the reality at least from our experience is it's a little bit of a slow grind now at least that's been our experience we've just kind of like steadily ticked up But sometimes it's a little discouraging, you know, you put all this work in and you go, ah, that one got 50 downloads, that one got 200 and that one got this and that one got that. And then now all of a sudden we're seeing at least some of our videos pop a little bit and it's like, okay, 2,500 was one we got recently or 4,500 and it was like, okay, now we can start. We're like finally a year and a half in starting to see like the fruits of our labor. But for a year and a half, dude, we like ate shit with our numbers. There was nothing going on. If you're listening, you started with us. Hey, thanks for sticking around. A lot of times those numbers were not super impressive. But we kept the faith that, hey, long term, three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, this entity can be powerful, both in terms of sourcing business to our businesses, maybe ad revenue, like you just mentioned, just the network equity that we're gaining through this process, all this content that's going to be produced as a result of it that we're going to chop up a thousand different ways. But what do you say to somebody who's a year in or two years in, and they're still not seeing the results? Like, what do you think? About
0: we run the Florida Podcast Association. So I have a monthly meetup where I literally help people every month. It's 10 bucks. So we have people coming from all over the state. So I see this scenario quite often. What I would say is two things. If you're looking to grow a massive audience, and it's not happening as fast as you think it should, and you're doing all the right things, look at your content and look at where you could pivot create a specific so for instance like katie's women's meditation podcast how do i say this it could generate a small amount of money we couldn't live off of it but by pivoting and creating the sleep show that's a different story that was five times bigger because we were paying attention to the trends so you really have to pay attention to what's under your nose what people are gravitating towards and what you could deliver more of And it's okay to rebrand a show or pivot, or while you're doing the main show, let's try out the second concept. Oh my God, this concept took off. Maybe we only do our main show once a month. Now we're going to focus on here. All of that is above board. So that's what I would say is you got to really pay attention to the trends and the numbers and do statistical analysis constantly. So with Katie, we got to get back to it, but we used to do weekly statistical analysis of everything that she was doing. That was part of my strategy. Every Saturday, at my mom, I'm very fortunate that my mom lived close by. She would watch our kids for 24 hours. In that 24 hours, we had a date night, we had a walk in the morning, and then before we'd pick up the kids, we'd go over her numbers, uh, literally in detail, which episode was most downloaded, what's moving the needles, are we growing, are we flatlining, are we going in reverse- What's causing educated guesses, what we think is causing it, what we need to do to move forward. It was maniacal focus that grew it to where it is today. And we're very fortunate that I'm a very high entrepreneur marketer, which Mike could attest to, but I'm not a great operator. She's a very great operator. So when you put the two, you have a perfect storm of two skill sets.
1: That are needed in a business. We're going to head to the three questions, but I have to ask this final question. And then we're going to head to our final three questions, go to the exit. And thank you so much. This is really valuable information, Chris. So my question is, how could someone move those numbers to get off to a faster start? To So Andrew asked, like, hey, they're going to have to do a slow start. But what could we do to pump out or get out off to a faster start potentially?
0: So in your scenario, you need to go find someone outside of the two of you to look at the numbers because what happens is you get your own blind spots and you make your own assumptions. So one, get outside counsel to look at what you're doing. That's number one. Two, if and when everybody decides we have the vehicle, we have the Ferrari that we think could grow fast, then like I said, you fuel the fire. The fastest ways to grow a podcast, adds on those players I was talking about earlier, and swaps, promo swaps with other like sounding shows with similar audiences. What is a promo swap? Literally, they're just giving a 10 second intro to listen to your show. You're doing the same for them. And that will literally double your numbers within a very small defined period of time. Or you could do what's called episode drops, but we could talk about that later. But that's the ways you would grow quickly. I have to tell you guys. So one of the things we noticed with Katie's thing is we have nothing for moms. And it's called the Women's Meditation Show. So we're working during May, Mother's Day, to launch Meditation for Moms. But you know what makes our job easier when we're doing a meditation show for moms? There's a hundred podcasts that are dedicated to moms that we could advertise on to grow that show. <laughs> so we like realized like, man, that's a blind spot we should have seen day one. Why we didn't see that? That's why we have an outside counsel that we brought on to start talking. And while you're brainstorming, those things come out. That's a blind spot. Like, how could we not have something for moms? We thought, well, all our things are for women, but no, mom's a specific niche. And then guess what? I have a hundred podcasts I could advertise on that could blow that up overnight.
1: Chris, this has been super helpful. And to wrap up every episode, we ask three hard, short hitting questions. Just first, top of mind, whatever comes to you. Rapid fire. Question number one, what do you think the world needs most today?
0: We need more grace and more faith, whatever that means to you. We just need more fakes. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. What one to three books, besides Start Ugly, do you think everyone should check out? The best books to read, I think David Goggins, his two books. I think it's Can't Hurt Me. I just listened to Cam Haynes' book too. He's a Archer. That was really good, but I enjoyed Jesse Itzler's book, but the one that's with Goggins. Read just you Living could either do Goggins. Yeah. yeah, you could either read Jesse Itzler's book first or listen to it, and then Goggins. It's a really funny one two punch because it like you see from Jesse's perspective, what Goggins is like. And then you hear Goggins' life story, like this guy's cut from a different club. So I love that. Kevin Hart has a great book as well. Probably one of my favorite celebrity books that's motivational was Kevin Hart.
1: Those are great. Yeah. Great, great ones. Last question. What does it mean to you to be better than Rich?
0: I can only describe a moment I had recently um, that for me depicts like the best of life One, actually, there's two moments. One, I've started going back out at night looking for animals in Florida. So we have all these invasive animals. So for me, Better Than Rich is spending time with my friends, hanging out in nature, checking out and learning. One of the things people don't realize, at night, Florida comes alive in ways that you don't even know while you're sleeping. And we'll be up at two in the morning with flashlights looking for all kinds of creatures. But one of the coolest things are... We have huge moths that are like the size of your head that fly out at night that you would never know exist. And with flashlights, they'll come to you. So it's really cool. I got some great pictures. The other one is I took my oldest daughter on a daddy-daughter date to Peppa Pig Land, which is outside, it's part of Legoland. And we were on the balloon. I forgot the song, but I can tell you it's burned in my memory anytime I hear it. She was singing the Peppa Pig song to me. It's like, hot air balloon, how high can it go? Higher than the sun and moon or something like that. And she sang it to me. And to me, that moment, there's nothing that could even come close. Like I could win the Super Bowl or my event could have 10,000 people. It will never come as close to my daughter singing to me this song. Tell me how happy she is as we're on these little hot air fake balloon amusement ride at Peppa Pig Land. This Friday is good Friday. I'm going to be taking both my daughters on a daddy daughter date to Peppa Pig Land. I took each one on a separate date, but the little one, I was like, I want to go to Peppa Pigland too. I took her to the aquarium. But those to me are the most precious moments that I have are with my little ones. Well,
2: couldn't agree more, man. Love that. I also love that you're the Tampa Bay Tiger King over there, like looking for the exotic (laughs) animals that escape. Tiger
0: King, (laughs) love it.
2: The invasive species, the Florida man strikes again with all these invasive species. I'm not looking for
0: Burmese pythons, although I wouldn't be opposed (laughs) to finding one. We're looking for like geckos and like people have no idea. There's like millions. uh, You know, in the form
2: that you filled out for your bio, it just said, I love flashlights. It's like, there's some context to that you know that's great but hey uh this has been super cool man how can people stay in touch with you as i'm sure they're going to want to do and just learn more about what you're up to and to you to receive your content
0: yeah my name chris Kremitzos. if you misspell it it's okay google will respell it for you but if you look up start ugly on amazon feel free to buy used copy they're cheaper than the brand new copies and then hard copy though recommend it. And then just find me on socials. Podfest Expo is really what I do. If you want to be part of the creator economy, come to that community. It's an amazing community. Even though we're at 1,500 people, Michael attest, it feels like it's still 100 people meeting with each other. It's a very unique thing that we built. And we're not looking to grow. We're looking to service the community and growth is part of the byproduct of that.
1: Well, I've appreciated you as a friend, as a mentor, and really as a guest on the show as well. So Chris, thank you. Andrew, thank you. Listener, thank you for tuning in today. Let us know when you start your podcast, listener, and we'd love to support your new show. So assuming this episode helped you, it's your turn to help others by sharing with a friend, subscribe on YouTube, leave a rating and review, and as always, leave today better than you found it. Till next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others. Post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram at betterthan__rich and join our Facebook group at The Better Than Rich Show. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time. And remember, leave today better than you found it. If you found value in this podcast episode and want to go a little bit deeper with myself and Andrew Biggs and our community, I recommend checking out one of these three resources. Number one is join our community. We have the Automate Delegate Systemize Facebook group with over a thousand entrepreneurs and self-employed individuals who just want to win back their time, who want to increase their profits, want to expand their businesses and really spend their time on what matters most to them. So join that group. It's on Facebook. It's called Automate Delegate Systemize. It is a private group, but we would love to have you join. Number two is we have a free one hour masterclass and this free one hour masterclass that is titled win back 13 to 37 hours of your week every single week. By you taking an hour of your time and listening and watching and workshopping with this masterclass you will learn our three epiphanies to help you understand how to work on the business not in the business. Know that you can delegate and automate almost anything in your business and you could also build a system in your business even if you're not tech savvy at all. So I highly recommend you to go to AutomateDelegateSystemize.com and enjoy that free one hour masterclass. If you really want to go deep with Andrew, myself, and other business owners, we have a program called Operator to Owner. And Operator to Owner is our premier program that's 12 weeks long that will show you exactly how to use what we call the ADS framework going through the prospect journey, the client journey, how to onboard properly, build your staff, build the pillars of your organization, audit your time with a dollar per hour exercise, offload and delegate your under dollar per hour wage that you want to pay yourself, how to offload those tasks and really how to buy back your time. Our promise is that by the end, you will learn how to leverage a virtual assisted team, whether you want to use our Better Than Rich virtual assistants. We have those services. You could go to va.betterthanrich.com or you can learn how to use your own virtual assistant team and hire offshore workers but we are here to help you win back time gain your freedom and try to stay true to what it means to be an entrepreneur and why you became an entrepreneur in the first place so take advantage of those three resources we have the facebook group that's free we have the master class that's free and then of course we have operator to owner and our virtual assistant services that are behind the paywall and be on the lookout for our next mini course win back your freedom and increase your profits, which we've done a couple of times already. And maybe there's one coming up in the near future.